We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, friends. This is Kirk Henderson with Mavs Moneyball After Dark. But tonight, I'm joined by one of our site contributors, longtime Mavs Moneyball writer. What is it now, Jordan? Four or five years? Jordan Burdess. Yeah. How are you? I, uh, good. Good. I actually, I joined, I just I just uh, brought this up recently, but I joined uh, the spring right before the Dennis Smith Jr. draft, covering mm. covering that draft. So it's been... Uh, I guess four net four years now. Oh yeah, because that Something was like that. when we that was when we had all the really fun like you. I I just basically started cutting cutting and pasting you and Ian's arguments into articles. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it was like this is great. It's, we don't even yeah. have to do anything. But yeah. um, so for everybody you know listening, uh, I'm gonna post this. It's uh, let's see here. It's Monday night at about eight thirty East Coast time. The Mavericks play roughly twenty six hours from now, which means they play the late game yeah near midnight just for for those i used to not care and each year it just gets a little worse and then we i attempted to hire like four college kids to to hang out on the site and none of them want to do the late games and so i don't really blame them (laughs) it's just kind of one of these things um i will say though i do secretly love having two games two or two days to process all of this because game one was just a like there's so much stuff you know you go to Mavs Moneyball and we wrote I think like seven articles following you know what happened and so you know I'm I'm just we could take this you know a lot of different ways and I'm I'm really been thinking about some of the media presentations Um, I suppose let's just kind of start with some of the news in the Mavericks side so at the moment uh, Maxi Kleba is listed as questionable for game two um I sort of feel like this is a bit of Dallas gamesmanship. Uh, you have a really nice take that I would, I, I think you should get off here about what's going on with Maxi. Well, I was, I was kind of surprised he was good to play game one because 
everything from Rick, which maybe that's just like peak Rick, leading up to game one kind of made it sound like Kleba wasn't going to be good to go, especially not to play 36 minutes, which is what he did on Saturday. Um, so I, my gut said, if he's going to play, they're going to use him up as much as they could in that game one if he feels good enough to go and then try to steal that game and then sit him for game two and just buy him more time to play games three and four. Uh, and I mean, we're still waiting to see if, if he's going to play or not, but that was sort of my gut was like, if they, if they think they're going to be able to steal one, then they need to use Kleba up as much as possible in that game to try to slow Kawhi down. And then game two becomes a lot less important from a series standpoint because now they've stolen home court and if they can get him some extra rest and him be in top shape for the games in Dallas, then, then maybe they have the upper hand in that way. Yeah. Yeah. The Achilles stuff, it really is a strange, anything with like the lower calf down to the Achilles, it's such a strange feeling and they don't want to run the risk of him tearing it because it's already obviously strained to where they they do have to judge this very, very carefully. I still think he plays largely because of, um, just largely because of of the impact. Like, if they were to steal game two as well, which, judging by some of the things we're going to talk about, the Mavericks must just be feeling outstanding. So if if they could steal game two, I mean, I do hope he plays because our – Madison Moneyball Slack was basically like, well, who's going to guard him then? Because Dorian does a pretty good job on Paul George, but but the, the strength difference with Kawhi Leonard becomes readily apparent when anybody guards yeah. him other than Maxi. Yeah, they don't really have anyone else. I mean, in the few minutes that, I mean, I guess Maxi sat for 12 minutes of the game and uh, Melly played nine of those minutes, I think. I don't think they ever uh-huh. shared the floor together. And for whatever reason, Melly was the one assigned to Kawhi in those brief moments, and it wasn't pretty. Uh, <laughs> the Mavericks just, they don't have someone else. I think it would be Dorian if, if for whatever reason, Maxie doesn't play. I don't know how well that would go. It, 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 it'll be a chess match in, in the sense that then do you, do you play Richardson in the starting lineup so that he mm-hmm. then has to guard George? Uh, you know, there would be shuffling. My guess is that Maxi does play, but but I would not be shocked if the Mavericks feel like, okay, well, we got the one we needed in L.A., so we don't need to work quite so hard in game two, which I think would be foolish. Yeah, You might as well just put your foot on the gas, try to get both, and and head home happy. Right. He's just so important. It, the, the conversation, though, underscores the importance to him in the schematics like against the Clippers, specifically the Clippers. If this were just yeah. about any other team, I'm not sure it would matter. Maybe yeah. the Lakers, but it's just he's so important. And it's just something we'll probably be paying attention to for as long as the series goes. Well, that then pivots to kind of the thing. Josh and I talked about this. One of the things this the series is such an interesting balance between like the tactics and then the narratives that follow the tactics and really it's kind yep. of a, a snake chasing its own tail and 
one of the things I brought up in the preview was how interesting it would be is if it became the story of how do the Clippers stop Luka Doncic versus how do the Mavericks stop the Clippers. The Clippers yeah. are the better team, and yet that seems to be the dominant narrative defense or, uh, uh, at the moment in the media. And then the Clippers are sort of feeding into that. So, so yesterday was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday, Teron Liu during media availability said that he thinks that. Uh, I think you'll get what you're asking for Tuesday in terms of uh, the question of why hasn't Luca uh, been guarded by Kawhi Leonard more? And what happened for those who have not really been paying attention to this much weeds related stuff, the Clippers has sent put Kawhi Leonard on um, Chris Tapps Porzingis and then dared the Clippers or then basically dared the Mavericks to, to beat them with everyone else. They took, you know, it was, it was like a, a shutdown corner taking out a wide receiver out of the game. Like Chris Tapsingus was not involved in the offense. Um, yeah. And the Mavericks won. And <laughs> it's very interesting to see because if they put Kawhi on Luka to start, that means that they're just going to run screeners into Kawhi. Like, and the Clippers right. are terrible at, at guarding, you know, pick and roll. I, I just, I'm really fascinated because it feels like this is the sort of thing where if the Mavs get up, the Mavs are just kind of circling at the moment in a really, you know, I'm just, I'm surprised it turned this quickly. And I guess it's, it's primarily, and I'm kind of rambling at this point, primarily due to, to Luca breaking, you know, the, the, the Zubak coverage where he just started shooting threes over him in the second and third quarter. But do you know what I mean in terms of, of where they're going with this? Because it, it feels despite losing game one, the Clippers should theoretically still have the upper hand. And I don't think they do. Well, I, I think, I think you're right in that, if 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 what Lou said in that press conference is true and they are going to shift Kawhi to Luka, then that is that is him, I, I guess, saying they're scrapping their defensive game plan. And maybe they should because the Mavericks were kind of clicking on all cylinders and especially Luka was clicking for the first three quarters of the game. He was sort of unstoppable. And it yeah. seems foolish to... To if you have uh, someone with the defensive prowess of Kawhi Leonard uh, on the floor, outside of just the workload it would require, why would you not try uh, him guarding Luca to try to disrupt that and just force other players, these role players, to beat you? Um, but that is scrapping what their defensive set would be because if you're going to put Kawhi on Luca, then you're not switching. You're saying mm-hmm. Kawhi's going to fight through the screens. Kawhi's going to stay with him, um, and and that's just that's that's absolutely opposite of what they have done up to this point against the Mavericks or otherwise. Um, so I I don't know I I I wonder if some of that is just is just the Clippers with their own gamesmanship to try to get see if Rick. And the Mavericks game plan for that, and then they throw them a different curveball. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would have known going into Game Two, it before the series began, if if what we were going to be waiting on is what the Clippers were going to do to adjust, yes. and not the Mavericks. So that- <laughs> it seems to be an odd, it's an odd place to be in, uh, because it, in a lot of ways the Mavericks, I don't know that they need to make an adjustment at this point. It's kind of a waiting game to see, like, okay, what are the Clippers going to do to try to stop this, and then we can have our adjustments. Unless Rick just is, I mean, he is the master at this but if he can anticipate whatever those adjustments are and already have a counter to it ready uh that will make for an exciting game too 
So I think I just, while you were talking, you said a few things which really just triggered some some ideas in my mind about why I've been so uncomfortable with the concept of the Mavericks being in the driver's seat. And it's because the Mavericks have not been in the driver's seat in the playoffs in 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. it's it's literally 10 years to this point yeah. in time. And I, I'm remembering the Lakers series and it was probably game had to have been game two or game three where I really, really kind of started to believe in the Mavericks because yeah. I just did you know, the Portland series freaked me out game one yeah, against the Lakers. They had to come all the way back. Uh, right. it was, it's the game that Doyle still talks about with, uh, with our guy, Corey Brewer. And, and it's right. these, these scars just sort of live in my head. So I'm just, I'm very, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at this. Like this just must be how Lakers fans feel all the time, like Supreme confidence. <laughs> and I don't know how to cope with my Supreme confidence because I'm reading some of these other quotes and then reading a little bit about what, you know, uh, our guy is talk Franco wrote a kind of an observation post of game one. And when you go through and you read line by line, what the, what the Clippers tried against Luca, they threw the kitchen sink at him. Yep. And it did not work. Yep. Uh, and so that's why I suppose this Kawhi stuff is so interesting to me because I don't, if you're going to engage Luca with that much defensive pressure, I have to think at some point for a guy like Kawhi, who is like, he's battery. He, he he'll, will learn once he retires the extent of his degenerative condition, but he has challenges like real challenges. And mm if they're going to use him like that on defense, that takes away what he can do on offense. Now it may not matter because the Clippers yeah. offense is very talented, but also just very odd. I'm not sure. Yeah. Like their, their, their offense was better than Dallas last year. Uh, but it, it, I'm, I'm, you know, after four games of watching them, part of me kind of wants to know how now I might, might get, my wish might get answered. They might just come blow the doors off Dallas tomorrow night. So maybe I should probably yeah. shut up. <laughs> well, I mean, the numbers the numbers would tell you that that two things are the most likely thing to happen in game two and that's that the Clippers start making threes and the Mavericks probably miss some threes um and that things are just going to sort of balance themselves back out maybe that results in a Clippers win I don't know uh but they they shot so poorly in the first game and a lot of them were open look you know with a team that has a, a huge collection of 40% three-point shooters. You got to think that if they get those same looks in a second game, that it's going to go in. Um, but but they they had no answers all the way through the end of the game for the Mavericks as a whole. They stopped Luka from scoring at will in the fourth quarter. He had one point, I think, is what, uh, in the final, what, like uh, 14 minutes of the game or something yes. like that. Yeah, it was rough. Uh, but, but he turned into, you know, a distributing machine and every open look was was being comfortably hit um by the rest of the Mavericks so mm -hmm. I'm curious if if maybe they throw a trap earlier in the game at Luca maybe not the Kawhi stuff but they say let's try to trap Luca early in the game uh and force other guys to find rhythm early in the game rather than allowing Luca to operate at the beginning of the game which is what happened in game one and then everyone else was getting comfortable looks because Luca was dominating. Yeah. So what happens if we use that trap that we used in the fourth quarter in the first quarter? Um, but I mean, if you see that, that to me uh, smells an awful lot like desperation uh, on the Clippers end um, mm -hmm. because they just don't, they, they don't have, 
they didn't walk away, I think, with answers from from game one of like, okay, if we do more of this in game two, uh, this is how we slow the Mavericks offense down. Maybe it's just as simple as we've got to wait for them to start missing shots. Well, and they did all the trapping stuff with Chris Tapps Porzingis in a pit of quicksand where when he did get the ball, he did not want it uh, particularly far out by that yeah. point in the game. And so I think a, you know, I, I, I think it was really important for Porzingis to finish that game. He he got the the roll dunk where he, they just hadn't been rolling all game, and so yeah. he's wide open. And then he got the dunk from Dorian Finney-Smith after Luca broke broke kind of the pseudo press trap, whatever it was. Yeah, and that really sealed the game. And so there's an argument to be made for a player like him who seems to be built, who seems to really rely on rhythm and feel. If he comes into this game feeling a little bit better, when when Chris Epps has a, a game, it is lights out for the other team. And yeah. and I we just haven't had as many of those this year due to kind of the injury concerns and the fact that he just doesn't get to play as much. And so it really makes me wonder in this game, if they start pressing, if, because if they trap Luca, it, the hierarchy of who gets shots next, I feel oddly confident in who all those players are, Um, which maybe the decision-making, particularly out of the, like the, the four on three situation, the short rolls, I guess you call them. I might not, feel super into it depending on who it is up top. Like I really like Brunson as a screener, that sort of thing. But the Mavericks yeah. just kind of have, if, if they do what you suggest, and as I'm hearing, you know, hearing you say it makes it sound like their best opportunity to be quite honest, because I don't see how Kawhi solves the problem. If you're just going to run Kawhi through four screens. Now, granted the Mavericks can't screen. So that might be part of, <laughs> you know, the, the hedge that you're making as the Clippers. Okay. Well, you know, we're just going to run because KV never actually sets a screen. Um, you know, Powell's yeah, about the only pretty one, much does. No one does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's a really, I hadn't thought about yet this yet, which is why I'm glad you came on because there's just so much to think about with this game and what's next, because, you know, it, I've talked to a couple of friends covering the NBA that have described this as a series they're least interested in. And I don't know how, because this is such an interesting chess match for people who like basketball. Um, there was well, it guy... sounds like the league is not interested in it either because they've put it up against what, like the Brooklyn Boston game tomorrow night. Like they're and starting the, and the... at almost the exact same time. And then the Lakers game too. I'm pretty sure the yeah. Lakers play tomorrow night as well. And they're putting it on. I mean, yeah, I, the the league has told everyone that they shouldn't care about it either. So, mm-hmm. uh, I guess they're the ones missing out. Let's see here. I'm scrolling through my Twitter timeline because there was some just really incredible content over, you know, stuff that came out the last few days. Um, now, I have a question for you. Do sure. you do you think they start Rondo game two? When do you think they they release that as as a as a as an option? Because I think that it's going to eventually happen. It's a great question. Um, if they did do it tomorrow, it would be conceding something. And yeah. I think that concession might be a bridge too far for a locker room of guys who are very talented but probably how do you phrase this just probably a bit more sensitive you know sure they lost last year in kind of horrific fashion and then they lose game one tonight like pressure is real well and i wonder so i guess maybe then that what they do is they still start beverly but they put him on someone else and if Kawhi is shifting over anyway it's just going to it'll be a domino of who's guarding who if that's Mm -hmm. the switch anyway because they Mm -hmm. certainly can't start beverly on luca again i mean that's a nightmare um and rondo (laughs) seems to be the only one who 
was playing both end of, ends of the floor in any sort of impactful way from the point guard position. Yep. Yep. There's a, it's, and I was looking for something in particular. I found it um, at Joe Holbert NBA tweeted out this two minute breakdown. Uh, he writes for MFFLs um, really smart guy. I think he's, I think he's uh, uh, English and he just, he has a two minute breakdown of some of the stuff that Carlisle did in game one, particularly just one out of timeout or after timeout play. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and this is, this is where I, you know, I, I get that the, that the weeds of basketball is not for everyone, but when you're watching players that are this smart and the, you know, me and Kawhi, Luca, Paul George, um, Jalen Brunson, there's just an aspect of it that I find supremely interesting. And if I were kind of a casual, if I didn't know more about basketball, this is the sort of stuff that would, at least for me, I'd say, Oh, I see what's happening here. Because it's this is a this is a series where you don't want to watch the ball at all times. You want to watch what's happening elsewhere. And both of these teams are so physical and smart. Um, and and frankly, just watching Luca go up against Kawhi and Paul George is just so interesting. Because the 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 theory in my brain at the moment, as I'm really riding high on this victory, is if the Mavericks get through the Clippers, I don't see what stops them from making the finals. <laughs> I know it's too yeah. early to say that, but it's just <laughs> the, the defensive challenge posed by the Clippers is is kind of unmatched in the Western Conference because the Lakers can't seem to get out of their own way. Yeah, I mean, I, I know jo- Josh says it a lot, but like the Clippers are like are like the the roster is designed to stop a team like the Mavericks. Yep. Uh, offensively, I mean, they are they are designed to stop Luca to slow down a perimeter attack like the Mavericks have. Um, and so if the Mavericks can get past that, it seems like they that that might be the biggest hurdle. I mean, the so crazy right now. I I don't even know who they would be facing. I mean, you know, I that Memphis Utah game last night was <laughs> that Memphis was wild, team. but like, yeah. oh my but I mean, the West is so unpredictable right now. It would be hard to say, but yes, I mean, the Mavericks are facing what should be uh, the exact team that should shut them down in the first round. Um, and, and this is, I mean, we haven't even really talked specifically about this and I'm going to write about it this week, but they also have, uh, perhaps the greatest upper hand in most series in having Rick Carlisle on the bench, game planning and scheming and making these adjustments uh, in real time that most mm-hmm. teams just don't, they don't have it at their disposal. And like you're saying that breakdown of, of the film there is exactly, is exactly that, that he designs these plays and makes just minor adjustments where it's maybe it's instead of using Porzingis, it's u- using Hardaway or Brunson. Um, in an action um, that just barely throws a team off, a, a defensive team off where they thought they were expecting one thing and they're getting another. Mm-hmm. And and he's just a master at doing that. So whether it's the Clippers or another team, uh, the Mavericks were are always uh, against n- nearly every team. There are a couple other uh, coaches who are, are good at those kind of adjustments, but but there really just isn't anyone like him when it comes to that, especially out of timeouts. When we've seen him, you know, I still think of the Raymond Felton game against the Thunder. Like we've seen him exploit yeah. the tiniest mismatch. Even if it wasn't for the, you know, the big picture good, because, you know, a lot of fans are like, oh, he hasn't won a series in 10 years. And it's like, well, look right. at who, like, look at who's been on the team. 
Yeah. And even, you know, to, to, to date, even look who's been on the team. I mean, we're all riding high right now because Willie Colley Stein hasn't screwed up in a while and, and Trey Burke hasn't played yet, but even still this Mavericks team is not particularly deep. You know, he's, he's using two, three year, year three players in Brunson and Luca. He's playing a journeyman of sorts in Tim Hardaway, who has really, you know, he's found himself in a really impressive way. He's working through, you know, Porzingis being a guy who just must be like he, 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 you know, I'm very mean about Porzingis, but the guy is working through both physical and mental challenges that are difficult to navigate regardless of what's going on, you know, playoffs or otherwise. And then you got, you know, guys like Maxi and Dorian Finney-Smith who are undrafted and they're maximizing their talent. Like this team is just really pulling things up in a way that I'm very like, I'm delighted to see, but you know, it, it's the argument for not starting out great because, you know, you well, can see it with the Utah jazz and, and, and really the Suns to an extent where you get going and then there's really only so many gears you can hit the 2007 Mavericks ran into this problem. Well, I, I mean, I think that I, yes, I, I agree with you that the team is not deep in the sense that if you were to take, um, uh, individual players off of this team and put them on another roster, how much playing time would they get? I have zero idea. Uh, a, a lot of them probably would be coming off the bench and playing maybe 15 minutes a night. They are deep in the sense that they have that Rick Carlisle knows how to utilize in really smart ways. And mm-hmm. it is what is deceiving. It's deceptive to fans who are watching because they look at a Dorian Finney-Smith who puts up 18 points and hits four threes uh, in a game, and you say, well, you know, we have all of this firepower where maybe he wouldn't work so well in another... Dorian Finney-Smith may not be a great example, but there are guys on this team that that Carlisle just knows how to push buttons to get the guys, and that's what's been since the title. That's why they've had these seasons where they were on the fringes of the playoffs or in the playoffs uh, because of Dirk and because Rick Carlisle can just like ring out the most talent out of these guys and kind of deceive us into thinking like, I don't know, are they a deep, like, are they 10 deep? I have Uh no idea. Uh, (laughs) Like, you know, you know, uh, it happens nearly every season. And, and even if, you know, the, the bench, the bench on Saturday, Brunson and Richardson were the only two that scored. Of right, Melly like shouldn't have, Melly shouldn't have bench. played. Yeah, like Melly Powell, Colley Stein, all three of them did not score in their combined. What was that? Twenty minutes. So they played twenty minutes combined, and none of them scored. Mm-hmm. Um, Brunson had fifteen. Richardson had eight. But even still, uh, Carlisle. Maybe I mean Melly should not have probably played, but. But, but they got away with it, and that's what. A but good they coach got away does. with it because, yeah, he just he knows how to push buttons, and so there are there are times where we can watch a game and not know, like I don't know, is this team ten deep or not? Tell because Carlisle just knows them. Right, right, man. I just I can't believe I'm this enthused about a first round series. <laughs> I, I really and, and the. <laughs> The Mavericks just put out – they might have put it out earlier, but I didn't see it. Um, they have a video that's come out in the last 30 seconds on their Twitter feed. It's Don't Count Me Out. It's in the it's in the uh, sounds of the baseline. It's it's I guess they're – I can't remember what this is, but it's really – it's a great little 
series with like it's a video with audio overlay and just looking around and I don't know. It's so, you know, there, there's so many like moral victories in playoffs and we've kind of gotten, you know, we got away with it last year. And so for the fact that them to be in a position to say, all right, they've, they've taken a really big step. This felt like a game where they leveled up of sorts because we didn't, you know, the Maxi Cleva dunk should have been a tide turner and they just got yeah. up. And, yeah. And, I mean, and, yeah, the, the, it, we, it hasn't been talked about. I don't think on the website or, here at all i know but i don't know if someone wrote on on the, on the side or not but the the mavericks in the fourth quarter you know they lost the lead at least once or twice yep and and it, it never looked desperate it never there never seemed to be the panic that you would you would normally see in late game situations i know that nick angstet he i saw him tweet something earlier today about that that it was a tie game with three minutes left and the Mavericks of last year, the Mavericks, uh, you know, even sometimes in this this season, in those situations, there would have just been a freezing up and there was a different kind of confidence. And it's probably because the role players were hitting shots, hitting big time shots. Uh, Brunson, Finney Smith, Hardaway, they were all hitting big shots and big moments. And that that does a lot to ease anxiety. Uh but there, there was just a different uh, composure than we have seen before, and uh, it, it's that actually that that has me more excited about the series than anything else because it wasn't, it didn't just feel like the the Clippers didn't show up because they looked sleepy at the beginning, but it wasn't like they just didn't show up and the Mavericks were prepared and hitting shots. Mm-hmm. The Clippers came back and should have taken control of that game, and the Mavericks. Uh, they were, uh, they, they fought back. They had some key plays on both ends of the floor. Um, and they kept, uh, they kept the big in, in big moments. And you just, that's where the, the big step was for me is, is how composed they were and has me more confident that they can repeat that. Um, uh, you know, I, I expect probably the Clippers are going to win game two. I don't know that it's going to be like a blowout or anything like that, uh, but just the nature of how these series usually work, sure. that that that's usually how it is. But uh, it was it was pretty encouraging to me that they could answer after a gigantic play like that dunk or uh, you know, Paul George started hitting shots in the second half. And rather than, uh, you know, uh, giving the coughing the ball up or taking bad shots and bad moments or just missing good shots, wide open shots that you just didn't see much of that in the fourth quarter. And that's, that's a huge improvement for the Mavericks. Well, this has been exactly what I wanted. I wanted to just talk a little shop and I feel, you know, getting it out of my system, I actually feel a little more calm. We talk, we write about this all day back and forth in Mavs money ball slack, but sometimes it's easier to kind of talk out these, these feelings. You wrote a really nice piece before game one about how Tim Hardaway needed to have a big game. If people haven't seen it, they should go seek it out. Uh, it's still on page one on, on uh, the website. Uh, we've been putting out a ton of content these days though. It's, which is, it's nice. People are excited to read about their Mavs. Um, do you have anything yeah. else uh, you before you want to get out of here? I don't think so. All right, good. We did the damn thing. This has been Kirk yeah. and Jordan with uh, Mavs Moneyball After Dark. As always, if you could please uh, subscribe, share, tell your friends, leave a review. Uh, the the previous two podcasts, the post game podcast, and then the locker room that I did 
following the game later on that evening were two of our most recorded uh, or downloaded episodes of the year. And that's because of people like you who actually take the time to go seek it out and listen. It makes me really happy to know that uh, the stuff we do here, people enjoy it. So I'd appreciate it if you would do those things. This has been Kirk and Jordan, and hopefully I will try to have Jordan on more. A quick shout out to your parents. Is that right? Did they just find out that you have a podcast? <laughs> oh, God. Yep. Yep. Like that was Kirk's a, parents. A 30 minute interview uh, trying to get my dad to use uh, the podcast. It was great. It's great. All right, guys. We'll see you after the game uh, late, late, late Tuesday night. Talk to you soon. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com